This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, a business of intercessory prayer for businesses. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Hey, everybody. John Ramsett here with Sandra Crawford Williamson. And wow, Sandra, did we just have, uh, man, just a in-depth, vulnerable, I got to tell you, just an inspiring conversation, didn't we? It was amazing. Amazing. I mean, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to stop. I wanted to make like a two day conference in our podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, Hans Finzel, um, who Steve Ryder, our, our other co-host has gotten to know through something called Holy Smokes. You guys can look it up online, but it's actually a group of Christian men and women that get together in the evening and have cigars and actually talk about things that really matter. And let me tell you just a little bit about Hans, because I think you'll, you'll get a feel for what we're going to talk about. He is a author, mentor, speaker. He is absolutely uh, an authority in the field of leadership. Let me tell you why, right? He's trained leaders on five continents. He and his wife founded HD Leaders in 2012. Prior to that, he was 20 years as president and CEO of World Venture. Uh, he and his wife spent 10 years in Vienna, Austria, training leaders throughout Eastern Europe and behind the Iron Curtain, behind the fall of communism or, or before the fall of communism. He has his doctorate in the field of leadership. He's on the board of trustees for Columbia University for 20 years. Uh, he hosted the Leadership Anchorman podcast. He's written 10 books. The last one, the, uh, a bestseller uh, actually, two of them, the top 10 mistakes leaders mis uh, make and the top 10 ways to be a great leader. And man, we just dug into some really interesting topics. But what really connected with, with you, Sandra? Well, I think for me, he is all that that you just said, right? And if you read all of that, like we did when we were researching him, you're thinking, wow, you know, and then he gets on the podcast and he is the most laid back, likable, humble, totally just hanging out Down conversation guy. I mean, he's hung out with Mother Teresa for goodness sakes. And then he gets on the podcast and he's just like, oh, I don't know. What do you what do you guys think? You know, he's just real. I mean, that's the bottom line. He's he's what we kind of stand for, you know, in our work, John, with our clients. And that is extreme vulnerability and, and real and transparent. And it was great because he said, well, that's the best leader. And he's written all these books and he's, you know, been all over the world and. You know, he says you've got to be vulnerable for people to trust you and people have to trust you for them to follow you. And so he just breaks it down super simple. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, the things he started out talking about, right, that he gets asked a question all the time. Are leaders born or made? Right. And the title of this, you know, you know, are you a natural born leader or a reluctant leader? And, you know, his answer to born or made is yes. And we actually dig into across the spectrum where whether people are kind of introverted or they're kind of very reluctant in the role they're in or they're just this is how they're wired. And they're just that. How do you actually succeed given, you know, all kinds of different backgrounds? So, uh, you know, with that. Um, I'm excited you guys for hearing this conversation. It was awesome. Sandra, what are your thoughts where we, we just, we roll it with Hans? Yeah. I mean, I would say you've got to take a listen to this and you need to subscribe to the podcast regularly because he's going to be on again and again. We're going to talk to him about change management. You know, how do you lead through change? Um, we're going to talk to him about leadership in Eastern Europe. You know, we, we have a lot of other topics to cover with him. So make sure you don't miss a thing. 
Yes, and so guys, if you're enjoying this, um, please uh, share our podcast with a friend. Ask them to give us a rating or review or subscribe, and we'd love to hear from you in our Facebook community, facebook.com forward slash eternal leadership. Just come in, join the conversation. We'd love to get to know you. And with that, here is our conversation with Hans Finzel. Hey, Steve, okay, so uh, everybody listening, when we first got started, there's a guy that Steve hangs out with at a thing, something called Holy Smokes, and it's these amazing, it's the brain trust of these thought leaders that get together to not only solve the world problem, but actually move each other and support and encourage each other into action as they sit around and smoke good Cuban cigars and, and just tackle the world. And one of your favorite people that you actually get to spend some time with regularly is our favorite Norwegian, I mean German, Hans Finzel. <laughs> Hans, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be with you all. It's fun. We're going to have a blast. And now Hans and Sandra, are uh, Crawford Wilson, who's our co-host, now you two both speak German, uh, and, speak in, and Steve and I like German food. So we have all that in common. But um, Hans, you are, I mean, you've written some incredible books on leadership from a different perspective. And I, I love how you start out your book. You ask this question, especially when you speak, right? Has anybody here ever worked for a terrible boss? And let me ask, let me, let me ask you, how much, what percentage of the audience raises their hand when you ask that question? Honestly, just about everybody, but yeah. for sure 90%, but it's crazy. And they not only raise their hands, but they roll their eyes, which <laughs> like is, oh, if I could just tell you. <laughs> well, and they, you know, they roll their eyes uh, because they're probably sitting next to the terrible boss who they're yeah. currently working for that and they, they don't want to, they don't want to give that too many happen. tells away, right? <laughs> yeah, that does happen. <laughs> Well, you know, um, I, I really think, and in, in, we've talked a lot about this, right? The whole leadership industry, and it's something we're trying to cut through with this podcast, focuses on kind of the why, the what, and the how of uh, of leading. And, and we read all these books and seminars, and I think there were something like 20,000 leadership books published just last year. And I think the missing ingredient here, and this is, Hans, this is something you do really well, and I'm excited about this conversation. It's important for folks is about who you are as a leader, because until you get the who right and the mindset and how you show up, right? Because, you know, your philosophy, it's not about me as a leader, which is our natural tendencies. It's about we. And so as we as we move into that and you just it changes everything. Because I could take something that absolutely has worked for you in in very challenging situations, Hans, and run it through my flawed person and how I'm showing up, and I could get disastrous results, even though it was great advice, but I'm not applying it the way that you did. And so we actually need to get to that really solid foundation. And you wrote recently this great book, The Top 10 Ways to Be a Great Leader. Man, it's just practical, and I'd love to dive into some of the key things you know, in, in your long career in leadership, you know, when you're working, we have leaders that are, you know, running companies, they're people that want to be entrepreneurs, people that want to start nonprofits, they're around the world. What advice do you have as just, you, you know, maybe if you look back, Hans, in your career um, to maybe one of the most challenging places that you've ever been from a, a leadership perspective, what was maybe some of the best, you know, the number one thing you learned or the best advice you got way back at that point, well, that's uh, yeah. You ask a lot of questions there. But <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> and that's okay. I didn't really get any advice as a young man on leadership <laughs> at all. 
uh, let me start with the question that the number one question I still get, whether I'm in China or in Texas, are leaders born or are they made? You know, mm. that's the number one. And I always say, yes, the answer is yes. They are born and they are made. And some people are born with a natural charisma and personality that people just tend to follow them. But I always say it's more important what you learn than what you were born with. Mm. And never use it as an excuse. I wasn't born with the right personality. Because uh, I think I love reluctant leaders. I think they make the best leaders. And and my greatest illustration of that was when I met Mother Teresa in Calcutta in 1994. Uh, wow, that was a long time ago before, you know, right after she won the Nobel Prize. And I always use her as an example of somebody who was not born with any natural leadership endowment. I mean, she was tiny. I don't even think she was five feet when I met her. She was so tiny. She did. She had a very uh, passive personality. Well, just kind of a not what you would think of as a leader, right? People have this persona. She did not have it, and uh, and yet she uh, changed the world. She won a Nobel Prize because she had the ingredient of passion, and with her passion and her action. She made a huge difference. So first of all, I learned that it's not so much your personality. I do have a leadership personality ever since I was a kid, you know, when I was a, uh, a Boy Scout, you know, an Eagle Scout. I was a leader of the troop. I had a rock and roll band in high school. I mean, who didn't have a rock and roll? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I had, it was the 60s. We, all, we had a garage band, and I was the leader of the band. So I've kind of had this natural endowment to people follow me. But I learned, here's one of my leadership axioms I put in every one of my books. If you do what comes naturally, you'll be a poor leader. And secondly, don't lead as you were led, because if you were led by bad examples, you'll be a bad leader. And that that was my story. I, I had some when I my parents were pure Germans. So, you know, I had to work. I had to get jobs and make some money, you know, take care of myself. And, <laughs> and so uh, I had some terrible bosses when I was a teenager. And so if I'd have gone out in the world and just done what they did, I, too, would have replicated this thing about being a poor boss. So to answer your question, when I was young, I never really got any, any advice about being a good leader. I just sort of got my bachelor's, got my master's, went out into the world. And my book, The Top Ten Mistakes Leaders Make, was born out of a bitter experience in my first major job out of graduate school when I worked for a wonderful visionary who was a terrible boss. And it, it was just crushing. Uh, he basically, you know, people can, your boss, your leader can stand in the way of your dream. And that's mm -hmm. what he did to me. Uh, I, uh, we moved overseas to follow this guy. We were so inspired by his vision. But then when you get up close and personal, you realize, oh, my gosh, he's a control freak. And he was in the founder's trap, which mm -hmm. is when, you know, the person who starts the company, who starts the business, who starts the ministry, who starts the organization, guess what? It becomes successful. And the next thing you know, they can't let go. And spread the leadership. So that's that was my early leadership story. I've gone too far with that answer, but I wanted to give you guys a chance to uh, ask a follow-up question. So I was not mentored in leadership. I kind of I learned, and, and I'll just say that um, I left that organization because I lost respect 
and trust of my leader. And I always tell people, how do you know when it's time to go and move on? Well, if you don't respect your leadership and you don't trust them, that's you can't put that genie back in the bottle. You might as well just move on. So that's when I went to grad school and studied leadership formally because I just thought, wow, there's got to be more to this leadership thing. I, I don't understand it. I don't know why I've been so disappointed. But if I become a CEO or a leader of a big thing, I really want to learn how to do it better. And, you know, when you, it was interesting when you said don't do what comes naturally. Uh, yes. Say, I, I'd love for you to say more about that. I'll love to unpack that. Because, yeah, please. Because what comes naturally? Hello, we are naturally selfish beings. I mean, my kids, when they were little, did I have to teach them to fight over toys? What do little kids love to say? Mine, mine, mine. <laughs> now I have the grandkids, and they're doing that. And so it's human nature to be selfish and to look out for yourself first. And that's the opposite of servant leadership. And one thing that really frustrates followers is when the, they know the leaders are just in it for themselves, to enrich their own portfolio, their own stock value, their own 401k, you know, and it's, and especially people who hop. I've seen leaders that just go from job to job to job. They don't have any real sacrificial commitment to the organization. As soon as a better opportunity comes along for them, they hop to the next thing. And so that's that's what doing naturally is being selfish, taking care of good old number one. The opposite is what I call servant leadership. It's more about the team than it is about me. You know, this has popped into my head, but I'd love your thoughts on this because, you know, you look at the kind of the millennial generation right now, their average time at a place of employment is, I think it's 21 months. I mean, it's just kind of their culture that they're, you know, they're, they're constantly moving around, not as much for economic opportunity. I don't think that's one of their big drivers, but, um, you know, it, you know, as you're out there and you're leading a team and you have a, a large group of your employees that are kind of wired to move on, you know, how do you how do you lead in that when you kind of have this this fluid workforce? Well, that'd be a good question for any pastor, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> pastors have to have to their congregation is ever changing because the same thing happens in local churches. People are coming and going constantly. And yeah, I think millennial, I have, you know, four millennial kids and they're unusual. They, they're very loyal. And I don't, you know, that's one of my attributes is if I am loyal to a fault and I, I guess I somehow my kids pick that up. So they're not, they, they're sticking with their jobs, but I do see generally the millennials are restless. So they move on because they're thinking the next opportunity will be better. It often is not. But it's this restless spirit. So how do you how do you lead a a parade of ever changing people? You know, I don't have a good answer for that. I I I guess one thing would be you have to constantly preach the vision mm. every week, every month, and that that's something I did as a CEO. Is I made sure I was constantly repeating uh, the vision and the culture and the values. Because six months from now, it's a different group of people. So don't assume. Too many leaders assume, hey, what I told you a year ago, you should still remember. Well, hello. <laughs> You're not going to remember. There's too much information. And then there's new players. So keep repeating the vision, 
the culture, the values. Yeah, I think that the number one responsibility we have as a leader is to cast that vision. It was interesting. I went into a, a client the other day, and they'd done all their visioning and core values and all these exercises. And he said they'd done it six months ago, and everybody knows it. So we did a 360 for the leader, and I asked everybody, it was interesting, Hans, what is the the vision and the mission of the organization, and what are the corporate values? I didn't get one answer out of 10 people that was that was remotely similar, except for maybe wow. a couple words that overlapped. And so it just highlights um, you yes. know how important it is to constantly be casting vision not only for the organization but that individual who's a member of that organization for them having that one-on-one -on -one conversation and say hey Hans you know what is your vision for your life what you want to accomplish how does that line up with what we're doing here because if you're not helping connect people's you know the dots for people with what they're doing 40 50 hours a week at your at your place um, I think it's really easy for them to start drifting and being, you know, looking at other opportunities. And uh, by the way, in my new book, you know, I use the acrostic of leadership and the E yeah. in leadership stands for effective communication. And my observation is that leaders never communicate enough and they think they communicate a lot more than they really do. And then there are people who don't like to communicate who are the owners or the leaders. I remember talking to a, a woman who's in a big law firm in Birmingham. Actually, I was, they have a podcast, and I was being interviewed on their podcast, and they were saying the number one partner who owns this – I mean, it's owned by the partners, but the, the, the alpha partner walked in every morning, wouldn't talk to anybody, and hid out in his office the whole day and then went home. And he's the leader. And, and he hated basically people. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, it was uncomfortable for him. And so some of you who are listening are actually stuck with an, an organization where your leader doesn't like to communicate. It's uncomfortable. They don't know how. And uh, that's just the reality. They need to. They need to learn. They need to. That gets, that's one of my messages. You have to be the chief press officer internally and externally. You have to communicate. You're on mute, dude. So we'll have to edit so, that at whatever. Right. That? You can write a note. 14 minutes. <laughs> you looked really good, though. Yeah, you did look so good. Han so yes, Hans Steve. All right. So Hans, there are people listening right now that they feel like they're the ones that don't like people. That was me probably 10 years ago when I was working at Focus on the Family. I just liked to be holed up in my little my little office, my suite, and just do my job and manage my team. And I didn't want to interface with any other departments. So how does one get past that? What, what are those first steps that they can do to uh, become an effective communicator? Yeah, I'm a I'm I'm naturally an introvert. People are always amazed when I say I'm an INTJ on the Myers Briggs. I am a total introvert. And the way you can know you're an introvert is people drain you. And you feel uncomfortable maybe you love being alone. <laughs> you're recharged by being alone and people drain you. And I've learned I have to be a professional extrovert. If you're going to be in leadership, you have to get out of your shell. So uh, you have to learn leadership. By the way, that's another one of my axioms. Uh, at the beginning, I mentioned a couple of them. You know, like if you do it comes naturally, you'll be a poor leader. Uh, here's another axiom. Just because you're in leadership, you know, doesn't mean you're a great leader. 
<laughs> that should be obvious, but it's not. A lot of people think, well, if I won the election or I got the position, you know, the board appointed me, I'm a good leader. Not true. And I'm sure you all, you three have seen horrible, I've, horrible stories of leadership failure. Just in the last month, I've seen a couple of just disastrous uh, ministry leadership failures. And I thought, what was that board thinking to ever put that person in the position of leadership? But that person failed in not learning to be a better leader and also not being self-aware. Uh, John, at the very beginning, you were uh, kind of talking about this, uh, you know, what do you have to learn early on? And I think self-awareness is huge. That's why I talk a lot about emotional intelligence. The E in leadership, stand, the first E in leadership stands for emotional intelligence, your EQ. And a lot of leaders get put into leadership and they're not self-aware. They don't understand how they're coming across. And John, you were mentioning a 360 degree evaluation. That is the number one way to learn how to become more self-aware yeah. and to see your blind spots is to uh, to have other people feed back to you how you're coming across. I've seen many a leader fail, and I often think it's because they just had no clue how they were coming across. And then all of a sudden, there's a big crisis. And in the, the two cases that I'm thinking about, the board fired them, you know, dismissed them uh, after the utter disaster of the leadership story. You know, here's something interesting. Um uh, two points I want to make. So a friend of mine forwarded me in uh, a study that Stanford Business School did, and they studied a thousand leaders, uh, people at the top of their fields in government, ministry, business, and they all kinds of personality types, right? Introvert, extrovert, you know, Mother Teresa's small and quiet to, you know, the big, you know, you know, the A driver personalities. And they said, is there something that's in common across all these folks? Is there something that we can identify and pull out? Uh, and there actually was one thing that they did, and it's what you mentioned, Hans, and it was self-awareness. And here's the great thing about this is self-awareness, which is the first step of emotional intelligence. If anybody wants to read any of these books, it's it's absolutely a learned skill. It's a process you can go through. For myself, going through that process with a coach was huge. That's a huge part of the coaching that Sandra and I do. I'm sure that you do too, Hans. And so, man, I just want to say that as something really encouraging. If people really want to take a step, because we talked about in the beginning, it's about who you are as a leader. And I really think for me, that started with understanding, you know, how God wired me, what were, what are my passions, what are my values, what are my strengths, my gifts, my skills, and how does that all come together? And once I saw how all that came together, then actually figuring out what I needed to do with that was so much more straightforward. And in the past, I always struggled and struggled with the what, because I think I'd kind of gotten the cart before, before the horse, so to speak. Yeah. If you're listening right now and you're thinking to yourself, there's no way I'm going to let my team evaluate me. <laughs> a lot, there's a lot of leaders like that. They yeah. are so threatened by that concept. Plus, they are not just threatened, but they reject it like, you know, I'm the leader. This is my company. I founded it or my organization. I started it. Come on. I don't need this. Uh, but I think a lot of leaders are threatened. I would just say to you, um, take a big pill of humility <laughs> and swallow your pride and say, you know what? If if I want to be a better leader, I've got to get some feedback. Mm -hmm. And so – 
if I were if you were to ask me what is the number one characteristic I've seen across the board, you know, there's no one key to great leadership, right? There there's so many books, like you said, so many principles. It's a complicated field. When I was doing my doctorate, I found that there were four hundred different definitions of leadership. It's confusing. How do you, you know, what's the key? Well, I'll just tell you the characteristic, the number one characteristic of great leadership that I've concluded after 40 years or 30 years is humility. Mm-hmm. You probably knew I was going to say that, but humility. Well, because you're so humble. No, 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 <laughs> I'm not. I'm an arrogant German, believe me. <laughs> but uh, humility is, I learned this. I learned it from Moses because I did a study of his life when I was so discouraged in my leadership about 10 years ago. I just thought this guy did not quit. And he had the hardest leadership job on planet Earth. He had the worst fickle followers you could ever imagine, but he didn't quit. And the reason he didn't quit was humility. And the reason God chose him was humility. You know, when when God chose him at the burning bush, he was giving God all these excuses. Well, you got the wrong guy. You know, that's that's reluctant leadership. Humility. And I think, you know, it says in Numbers 12, 3, there was no more humble man on the face of the earth. I do believe that's the number one reason God said it's got to be you, Moses. There were other reasons, too. But, uh, you know, God... I've often thought at the burning bush after Moses gave all these excuses, why God didn't just move on say, fine, I'll find, you know, there are 2 million people. There's got to be some other good choices out there. It had to be Moses. Then, then Jim Collins, you know, and to shift gears from the Bible to the secular literature, uh, built the last and good to great. Jim Collins says the number one, you know, the level five leader is a humble leader. They're very strong internally. They have a very strong internal compass, but their leadership is bathed with humility. That's the key to great leadership. And so, if you're, let me just say, if you're humble, you'll be willing to get some feedback. Mm-hmm. So going back to Moses, I think one of the most one of the most striking stories throughout Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy for me was when God was upset with the Israelites said, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to start over with you, Moses. And Moses said, hold on, time out. I, what, what, what would people say if, if you took them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and took them out to the wilderness to kill them? No, 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 no. be patient with them. God, be patient with them. For, for me, I, th- I, th- I think that, that's one of the most striking stories of Moses' life is how he went to bat for the people that were so uh, just difficult to lead, like you said. But Hans, what is your definition of humble? Because we, we, we hear in, in, in Christian circles in particular, humility is, oh, it's, oh I'm nothing. It's self-effacing. I'm nothing. I'm a worthless worm. What, what do you, what do you define <laughs> humility as? Mm, great question. I like that. Because, yeah. In my, in my chapter on the S, uh, in leadership stands for servant attitude. And I unpack in there what servant leadership is not. And people do have a real misconceptions. They think a servant leader is a wash rag you know, twenty four seven. I'm doing what everybody else wants me to do. You know, I, I I'm I'm weak. I, I'm just a uh, uh, I call it slave leadership instead mm. of servant leadership. Some people just think it's slave leadership. Okay, to me, uh, 
a simple definition of humility is we. It's about we, not about me. To me, that's that's servant leadership. I think about Peyton Manning. Our, I'm, I'm in Denver. We had this great uh, football quarterback, Peyton Manning. Uh, you may not, you may hate the Broncos, but I, all across the country, people love Peyton Manning, and he is one of the greatest examples of servant leadership I've ever seen. It was not about his ego and him. And so many NFL quarterbacks have these monster egos. He he does not. Because he knew he couldn't make a single touchdown without every single member of the team. It really was about the team, not about him. And that's, to me, servant leadership. It's about we, not about me. Yeah, baby. Sandra? <laughs> All right, Sandra, it's your turn. Come on. Well, you can edit that, Steve. That's a 24. You can ask this question in German if you would like. We can talk. Ah, yeah. That'd be great. Old country, see? That's the way my <laughs> father talks their whole life, so I'm very good at the accent. <laughs> did, they ever, um, did they ever tell you not to speak German? Oh, no. No, no. no. We were... Unlike many immigrant families, when my parents landed in America right after World War II, they came with a whole – my dad was part of the German rocket team that came to America after World War II to build rockets and the Apollo and all that stuff. And so there were 118 German families that landed together in Huntsville, Alabama. And my best friends growing up were little German kids, even though I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. And so we we only spoke German at home. You know, I did not learn to speak English in Huntsville, Alabama, till I went to kindergarten. So we my grandma. Yeah, it's pretty my, crazy. My, my grandma was the exact same way. My grandma grew up German immigrant parents didn't speak English until until kindergarten. It's crazy. Wow. I remember going to kindergarten in Huntsville and starting to learn English. It's just nuts. We were totally in this German bubble. Proud That's of. awesome. <laughs> At least you didn't get their accent when you learned English. Right. <laughs> okay, I'm going to launch, Steve. You ready? Yep. You know, Hans, I have to ask, one of the things I always uh, focus on when I'm leading a team is, I call it the stories, learning people's stories. And, you know, I, I don't think that's an official strategy or officially part of your book, but it does come up multiple times. You know, if you can spend time investing in your people and learning their story, you know, how did they grow up? Did they speak German until they went to kindergarten, you know, like you did? Did they have a tough dad, you know? Did they grow up with a single mom? Where'd they go to college? Did they put their, you know, their family through college? I mean, if, if you can learn someone's story, you instantly know how to approach them. You know what their gifts are. You know what their hot buttons are. That really changed my leadership perspective. Um, so I call it knowing their stories. And then it's really funny because my husband and my mother my entire life have called me an over communicator. But it has served me extremely well in business. And so, um, you know, my poor kids come home from school and, you know, they have to have the mommy talk, you know, about their day and all that stuff. And I'm trying to to coax them into being over communicators. But, you know, the communication piece is so key. But what do you think about the the story thing? Like, just keep it simple. Get to know their story. I love that because you're really saying I care about you. 
you're not just a worker ant. Uh, you're not just a cog in the machine, but I actually care about you. Uh, um, that's, that's huge. And I remember I, I, as a young man, uh, I had this huge, you know, sometimes people ask me, Hey, have you had any leadership failures? Hello? Are you kidding me? <laughs> One of my biggest was when I was about 35 and I was the leader of a team and my team basically voted me off the island. <laughs> that was during the days of uh, Survivor. I guess that show's still on. I can't believe it. But um, uh, my team, it was a situation where uh, the team kind of elected the leadership. And I, and I was voted. I had been the only leader. I had been the leader five years. And they ganged up on me and voted me out. And it just crushed me as a young man, 35 years old. And I... I said, why? I had up enough courage to ask one of them, what happened? I did not see that coming. He said, Hans, you know, you're, you're really gifted. You know, you do everything well. You're a good worker. You know, you just, you're just very productive, but you don't care about us. Ooh. You just don't care about us. It's Ooh. all about you and your career. And, and man, it's the old saying that Maxwell says, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Well, I did. It was true. I was all yeah. about me and my leadership and my career. I was very good at what I did. And that's why back to my new book on emotional intelligence, every person I've ever fired in my career, some top C-level people, it was because of poor EQ, not because they weren't smart and they didn't do their job well. And that's exactly the crisis I had is I, I had to learn, wow, I do need to care about their stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing I did, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Patrick Lencioni and the five dysfunctions of a team. And he has an exercise in there that I did. I would go away on leadership retreats. And I, this, one of these questions, he said, you should ask everybody on your team, tell me about a formative event that happened in your childhood that makes you who you are oh my gosh that's a powerful this, question hans it is a powerful question and i had a chief financial officer mm. that i eventually had to let go and i can't reveal his story but his story began in elementary school that created the dysfunction that he was as an adult I learned so much about people by that question. Tell me about something that happened in your childhood that was formative to who you are today. Well, you know, I tell people we all have baggage and we're all just packing it around. Some of us have a nice little tote bag and some have like three bellhops behind us <laughs> full of bags. But, you know, all that baggage comes from things that happened when we were younger and especially in our very young years. And we sort of pack it away and then that affects us, you know, the rest of our lives. So if you can unpack somebody's bags with them as a leader and just sort of go through it and go, okay, you got this over here. All right, we're going to put this in the sock drawer. And all right, you got this over here. We're going to hang this up, you know, with the linens. And, you know, you, you can't change that person. But if you become familiar with what's in their baggage, then you're going to understand their filter. And you're going to understand, you know, every time they hear you, um, how, you know, what filter they're sort of processing the message from. And that made all the difference in my management style. And I tell people I coach all the time, you know what, there's a lot of smart people at your company. And odds are, everybody at the VP level in your big flashy firm 
term are all really smart people with like four degrees. And so let me just tell you what's going to be the tiebreaker. The tiebreaker is going to be emotional intelligence. It's going to be people that trust you. You know, if you line everybody up, who are they going to say, you know what? This guy's going to have my back. He's the one I want to be in the trench with. And that's, I believe, the difference. So you've probably run into the problem. And those of you who are listening again, it's what I call the power of vulnerability. And a lot of leaders are afraid to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. They don't want anybody looking inside those suitcases. Yeah. Right. Or that backpack. And that's the way I was. Uh, When I was 50, I started going to a counselor because I was having some real issues with trust on my team. And again, Lencioni says if you can't build a high performing team and get the top of his pyramid is great results but it stops at the starts at the bottom with building trust and trust is only built through vulnerability i didn't want to let anybody see my suitcases and through going through some counseling i realized hans you've got to open your heart you've got to reveal what's inside people say you're hard to get to know i don't know what's going on inside of you you seem arrogant it's because i'm of what happened in my childhood, I was a closed book. So those of you who are listening, don't be afraid of being vulnerable. It's actually a powerful thing. And I have a friend who's a CEO and he's very vulnerable in front of his people. And one lady came up to him, one of his direct reports said, Bob, I can't believe you're so vulnerable. Aren't you afraid people won't respect you? See, that's what you think. Interesting. If I I let you see what's in my suitcase, you won't respect me. And he says, well, what about you? Do you respect me? And she said, oh, I respect you more than anybody I've ever worked for (laughs) because you're vulnerable. You don't pretend to be perfect. Hans, where do you think that gap comes from? Uh, Wait a minute. Sandra, you were saying you were asking. Go ahead, Sandra. Yeah, let me ask a follow up. You know, Hans, I find that to get people to be vulnerable, uh, you have to be vulnerable first. And so I will often lead with a story about myself and, you know, be a little self-deprecating. And, um, you know, I have this when I speak, I say, you know, I am just a big hot mess saved by the grace of God. And, um, you know, and I sort of talk that way in the beginning and let people get to know my heart and that, you know, I'm just this flawed, broken Christian, you know, walking the earth and uh, who who's worked really hard and God's blessed me. And so when I approach things that way, oh, my goodness, it's so different. And, you know, I started out my career trying to put on like the Procter & Gamble suit and be something I wasn't and like be perfect. And, you know, just like you were saying, I didn't let anybody in. And I, you know, pretended like I was Ivy League and all of this stuff. And I was very shut off, went through 9-11 in Manhattan, and that really just ripped off all of my, you know, sort of masks and layers. And so post 9-11, I was just, you know, all transparent all the time, as my husband would say. And that changed everything. So, you know, the people that are listening out there, it takes courage. But if you're vulnerable first, I mean, I'm not saying go take them to counseling with you and let them sit on the couch next to you. But, you know, let them know, hey, you know what? This is something I dealt with and share a story first. It really will change your entire relationship with that person and your entire team. Totally agree. Yeah, I think, you know, our, our working with our clients, kind of one of our 
one of our focuses, uh, Hans, is what we call extreme vulnerability. And it's really coaching that leader. I, you know, I've had, I think, three or four people ask me just in the last six months, how vulnerable should I be? Right? You can see where they're coming from, right? They're afraid to open that bag. So when you're yeah. working with people who have not, like you were, because I, I, I love you shared, right? This is not who you were. You were this closed book, and you realize this is not serving me well or my team. You had to start kind of opening up a little bit. What advice do you have for people that have been very uncomfortable with vulnerability to take some of those first small steps like Sandra talked about? Because I think that is key to changing the dynamic of how they're working with people. I don't know. Sandra might have a better idea. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you can uh, answer that question, Sandra, because I know vulnerability is really important. But uh, how, how do you take some steps in that direction? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, do you know this person already? Like, you know, if I think if you're if you already know the person, um, you know, you can pull them aside and say, "Hey, I see you're dealing with this. Let me let me tell you something that I figured out the hard way." That's typically how I'll how I'll kind of set the stage. Well, how about and somebody who's they, listening, who's leading a team right now? They're like, "Wow, the yeah. results I'm not getting are, are they're listening to this are going okay. I'm not I'm not." You know, I don't have the relationships I need. The trust isn't where I know I need it to be. I, I'm, I'm hearing this conversation. I'm going, you know what? Maybe I need to start connecting uh, with my team better, building those relationships. Maybe it starts mm-hmm. with vulnerability. And, oh, my gosh, I'm scared to death to share mm-hmm. and, and peel back a little bit at my next team meeting this week or with that one-on-one conversation with one of the people that's either on my team that's reporting to me, right? I think that's where it starts is these these small yeah. steps. How do we take these small yeah, – how do we help say, people take that small step? Yeah, I would say you have to shock them a little bit. So do something unexpected. I always say carrot cake. Like go buy a giant carrot cake and have a team meeting and, you know, like go over the top making it something different. Carrot cake, you know, bring in a – um, a coffee machine. I don't know, you know, get a couple boxes of nice, nice Starbucks coffee, like do a, do an interruption, you know, something that is very different. So that's going to kind of set them back a little bit. And then, you know, you apply them with sugar and caffeine and then you say, Hey, listen, I, I just want to have a real talk with you guys and let you know, I realize things aren't where I want them to be and I want it to be better. If you could just say that statement, things aren't where I want them to be and I truly want them to be better and I'd like you to help me figure out how to do that, that will blow people away. Because if things aren't going your way, it's typically because people aren't, you know, pushing you you forward and they're not pushing you forward because you're acting like you can do it all by yourself. When you actually can say, hey, you know what? I really want you to do this with me um, mm-hmm. because I can't do this by myself. We're all in this together. I mean, it's the it's the quarterback mentality that you were talking about, right? I grew up in New Orleans, so I happen to love the Manning family. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I grew up in the uh, in the dad's era. But, you know, the, if you listen to that entire family talk, no matter who it is, the dad or the brothers, they're always about it takes a team. It takes a squad. Everybody's in it together. A quarterback can't win the t- game by himself. I, I mean, that's what a leader has to do in business. You know, because last time I saw a CEO, you know, running a company by himself, uh, I don't know, that wasn't doing too well. 
I love that. Yeah, a couple of tips that I would give. Number one, off-sites. I found going away on leadership retreats mm-hmm. is a, such a better atmosphere than in the room you always meet in. And, and I was I was a CEO 20 years, and I was like over 10 years into this thing before I started learning my vulnerability problem. So some of you are listening. You've been leading these people for a long time, and, and the thought of changing how you lead them – that's a huge challenge. That's a huge mountain to overcome because everybody already knows what to expect of you. So I like your carrot cake analogy. Mix it up. Do something to shock them saying, you know, and I, I hate to promote other people's books. You know, I, I want to sell my own books, but Patrick Lencioni, <laughs> <laughs> The Five Dysfunctions of a Team became our Bible on mm. this topic. Yeah, one of my all-time favorites. And, and there's a workbook that goes with that book that I would highly recommend you get as a leader and take your team through that workbook. That's, again, where we started going on off-sites. I, it made me go to get a, some counseling because I just began to realize, oh, my gosh, I have got some serious vulnerability problems, and I learned why. And so, yeah, off-sites are great. Another thing I did is in the annual performance reviews with my direct reports, I would always end with this question, how can I be a better leader to you? And whatever you say, it's safe. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to put it in your file if you say something negative. And boy, I learned some great stuff in those interviews. Yeah, you know, I just I, I love that. Um, you know, that feedback is so important, soliciting it. Uh, and I'll never forget because I had this carefully crafted image that I've developed of who I was and how I wanted everybody to know me. And I was working at a company, this was 10 years ago, the CEO, a guy named Dave Hunter, phenomenal leader, and we did our offsite. And the agenda is all the business stuff, right? Strategic and planning and marketing. But the first thing on the agenda for the first half day was personal updates. I'm like, I honestly showed up like, oh boy, how do I, you know, I don't want to share. And you know what? Everybody went around the room. He had, this was, and they did it every year. How are your kids doing? How's your marriage? How are you doing emotionally, financially, spiritually? What are your goals? I'm like, oh my, it, you know, so the first three or four people went and like Sandra said, there was some extreme vulnerability when it came to me, man, I just started sharing and I got it. What that team was probably one of the most cohesive friend. It was a family. And you know why it was a family? Because everybody knew each other and our flaws. We had grace when somebody messed up because we knew where they were coming from. Um, and I got to tell you, it was one of the most wonderful cultures I had been part of since I was in the Navy as a fighter pilot because we had a very similar culture because we, we just this band of, bro- you know, this band of brothers because we, of what we went through. Um, and so like what you're talking about, this question, right? What was that formative event that happened in your childhood, you know, that made you who you are today? Even starting an offsite, uh, with a group like that, is it just a great way to start? Cause people will start sharing and I would pick the person you think is going to be most vulnerable to share first. Cause they're going to set the tone. Yeah. Let me just give some advice to those of you who are listening, who are thinking that's, that'd be hard for me to do because that leading that kind of a session is hard for me to do because mm. that doesn't come natural to me. So I would say, get your person, get your Sandra, get your person who's the best at that kind of thing to lead that session. You as the leader don't have to lead it. Mm. And it might be better to have somebody else on your team lead that. But I love that. See, that's back to that 
I care about your story. And we're going to take this half a day of very valuable time and we're going to hear each other's stories. I yep. love that. Yeah. You know, in fact, when I've done some coaching, part of the coaching has been with people that are pretty seasoned in their career and they've gotten this far along in their career by being tough and by being, you know, poker face and not showing any flaws. And, um, and then they get to that point, they hit that wall that you mentioned Hans. And so, you know, that's when they come to a coach, right? So I, I actually have this, this little process I take people through. And my joke is that it wasn't successful unless we had, you know, somebody cry, but, um, you know, but I would, I, there's just this process I take them through and it's a little bit discover your design. It's a little bit the power of uniqueness, which is some Bill Hendricks stuff, some great books, but, um, it's all about, and I, I do exactly what, uh, you mentioned. I start in childhood and I say, Hey, tell, tell me about your childhood. How'd you grow up? Was your mom around? Was your dad around? Did you have any siblings? What was your birth order? You know, what's some yucky stuff that happened when you were a kid? And so what what I do is I force them as their coach to be extremely vulnerable. John, I'll never have another coaching client now if people hear this. <laughs> I have them go through and just one-on-one in a very safe place, I have them go through and, you know, be, be vulnerable. And, and that's kind of like breaking through the dam, right? But then what I do is I help them cherry pick stories that are appropriate for the, you know, for the environment and ones that they feel comfortable sharing in a larger group. Um, and just, you know, so it's kind of coaching them along to authenticity because they've spent, you know, 20, 30 years hiding these things. And so you can't just walk in one day and be like, Hey, I'm going to tell you my whole story. You know, people have to work at it. And so, um, it's such, it's so rewarding without fail every single person that has gone through that process has come back and said, Oh my goodness, it, it changed everything because people see them as a human and it's, you can give grace to humans. You can't give grace to a robot. And that's what I tell people, you know, if you're sitting there self-sufficient, you know, what, what I used to have, the sin of self-sufficiency, it's me, I'm all that, I'm doing it, you're just cogs in my wheel. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, I can't do anything without you people. Um, you know, you can give grace to a person. And as John mentioned, what we do even here on the eternal leadership team is we know everybody's story. You know, we know everyone's strength finders. We know what we're going through in family and with kids and timing and trips and all that, because then you can, you can take care of one another and you know, that's what it should be. That's the most highly functioning teams are the ones, as John said, that are like a family. Well, Hans, this has been awesome. Sandra, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, as we kind of at the, unfortunately, I wish we had a little bit more time. So we need to have you back on. But how do people find you, connect with you, you know, see what you're doing? Well, if you can spell my name, you can find me. <laughs> Hansfinzel.com. H-A-N-S-F-I-N-Z-E-L. Hansfinzel.com. As well, you can find all my stuff, my YouTube channel, my videos. My I love to speak on leadership. If you need a speaker for your event, reach out to me. And that's how you find me. That's awesome. And your last book, and you can just go to Amazon.com and just type in 
Hans Hans Finzel, Finzel. (laughs) and you'll see everything that you've done. So, you know, just as we kind of, you know, land the plane here, so to speak, what are just final thoughts would you like to just leave to everybody who's been listening in on this conversation, Hans? Okay, I'll leave you with the two most important words in the leader's vocabulary. And uh, my new book, uh, The Top Ten Ways to Be a Great Leader, the acrostic leadership is the 10 uh, letters that I use to outline the book. And the L in leadership stands for the two most important words in a leader's vocabulary, listen and learn. And the number one complaint I hear from people who have a terrible boss is they don't listen. They just think they know it all. You can't learn if you don't listen. And if you listen, you'll learn. So the two most important words in a leader's vocabulary is listen and learn. That's awesome. Instead of criticize and judge, I, that's some of my leaders. That's what they 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 read a different book. <laughs> uh, Hans, thank you so much for your time. That was awesome. Sandra, Steve, that rocked. Um, Hans, we need to have you on. So I'd love to have you as a regular guest and just keep diving into it. all these topics. That was just I would uh, love it. it. I'm honored to be on your show. And sometime I'd like to get on and just talk about leading change. Because that's another huge topic. So maybe we can do that next time. Let's do that. Because I think the, the the speed of change that we're dealing with right now has accelerated rapidly. So listen, everybody listening, we'd love to have you, you know, subscribe to the podcast. Go to iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe. But also connect to the our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash eternal leadership. Join the conversation. Incredible resources. You can... Uh, you can post comments about this podcast uh, with Hans and our whole team, and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. Just earlier this year, Vicki told me while she was praying, she heard from me to water the seeds. I knew exactly what it meant and got some business out of it. Another time she was praying and accurately described one of our dogs who turned out needed medical attention. John and I can't recommend the team at Marketplace Rock highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online, marketplacerock.com, or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us, episodes 4 and 66, marketplacerock.com. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.